0: This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons. Westsidebarbell.com, the strongest website in the world.
1: Welcome to the Westside Barbell podcast. This is our second one. We're here with Louis Simmons, John Quint, and I'm Tom Barry. Uh, our topic for today is hamstrings and knee injuries in sports. So we're going to hand you over to Lou and we'll start this off.
2: Well, I've been asked many times why there's so many hamstring and knee injuries in uh, ball sports, football, rugby, um, and soccer. And they all have a tremendous amount of uh, hamstring injuries and knee injuries. Well, basically, the training knowledge is not very high. Mostly, they hire an ex-football player uh, to do the training, and the ex-football player is a football player. He's he's not a weight-trained person. Um, years ago, I had a lady here ran for Ohio State track and also... Um, um, out in California on, um, on a track team, and she, um, we tested her to Ohio State after doing our training through heavy squatting and deadlifting a wide stance. Her hamstring quad ratio was 60 hamstring, 40 quad. Uh, as far as I know, this is the highest ever registered. Now, the Jamaicans talk about trying to get the hamstring ratio up to 70, um, because that's what, goes, that's what makes you go down a track. Also, at the time, Laura would barely any gear, could squat 567, and she weighed 163. That was the world record back then, and she could dead at 534. And everything was done wide, working the hips, the glutes, and the hamstrings. And uh, you must preload a hamstring to make it work. If you don't load it, preload it, and how do you do that? A lot of spatial exercises we have, uh, like the inverse curl. And, uh, John, I want to stop for a moment and just, you know, when it comes there's so many running uh, injuries, Walking, people hurt yourself running and walking. Why? Because of bad technique. But, John, what runs? What makes a person run?
0: Well, the I think, uh, you know, the body functions as a unit, right? And so when we're walking, we're running. There's things that uh, everything's working in, in, in uh, unison with each other, right? And I think when you talk about uh, training the glutes, training the hamstrings, and all this other stuff, you're talking about emphasizing the the hamstrings emphasizing the glutes right not really isolating them because the body functions as a unit so when we walk all the muscles are working in conjunction with each other but the interesting part is you said that we want to load a muscle before we explode a muscle because that's how the body works when we're walking we're loading our system and then when we're propelling we're exploding our system well the inverse leg curl is the only machine that i know of that what we're going to do in that setting is we're going to emphasize the quads, but the whole body's working as a unit. We're emphasizing, I'm sorry, we're emphasizing the hamstrings. We're loading them, so you're loading them, and then you're exploding them. So that's exactly how, that's what's going to propel you down the track.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, what happens if you do too much uh, quad work? As the um, studies I've seen, too much quad work causes too much tension in the quad, which then causes the hamstring to have tension. And this is where the, pro- the problem lies. A tense muscle can be pulled. And that's why there's so many uh, leg injuries, hamstring injuries in uh, football, and um, also knee injuries. Of course, um, you, with your background, please explain why the hamstrings and the calves pull such a great, play such a great role in keeping the knees healthy.
0: Yeah, so, so your, your body's a tensegrity structure, and that basically means that the soft tissue, uh, the bones are floating in three-dimensional space in the soft tissue. And so how that works, if if we just look at the body from the front side to the back side, uh, what we'll notice is if we increase the compression on the front side, so if we shorten the front side, what's going to happen on the back side, it's going to lengthen. right? And so that's the thing is... People don't. I don't think people really understand that a muscle can be locked short, but it can also be locked long. And you got to figure out if it's locked long or if it's locked short. A lot of times, what happens is what you just said, where the quads get dominant, the hip flexors get dominant, right? And so that's going to create that's going to create a lot of tightness on the back on the front side, which is going to create length on the back side. So people think they don't have hamstring flexibility or mobility, but realistically, they're already locked long. And so anytime, so it's kind of like a rubber band. If we take a rubber band and we put tension into the rubber band, that's what the hamstring's like. So anytime we go to try and lengthen it anymore, it's already at tension and people think that the hamstring's the issue, but the hamstring's not the issue, right? It's the the Mm -hmm. quads are too dominant, it's their hip flexors are too too dominant. And that's what I see.
2: The hamstrings are the symptoms, but the quadriceps
0: are the cause. Exactly. Right, so yeah, so exactly. So anytime there's an injury or there's a pain, What's happened is, chances are, what's caused that isn't going to be injured, right? The pain is a symptom of something having to do too much, and what happens is when whatever structure, if the hamstrings are already lengthened, and we ask them to lengthen even more, right, and they reach their adaptive threshold, what happens? They tear. But it's not the hamstring's fault because if we were able to have optimal tension in the hamstrings and not hypertension in the hamstrings then we would be at less risk for injury and have a lot better hamstring function.
2: Well, I've heard you say that you can't do a leg extension standing up. Of course not. So what makes a person run actually is the calves and the hamstring. Yeah. And the hip muscles.
0: Right. That's going to be – yeah, so exactly.
2: All right. Uh, You know, I watch a lot of people in major schools, football teams, doing wall squats. This is something for mental toughness, and it's an absolute terrible thing for a football team to do because you're only working at one angle. Now, isometrics, a lot of studies show the radius of the work is 15 degrees either way. But if you do wall squats, I'm sure it's going to shorten the psoas, and then what happens?
0: Right, exactly. So what happens is, for people that don't know what the psoas is, the psoas is a hip flexor. So when you're seated and and your thigh comes closer to your hip joint, that would be hip flexion. And then also, when your torso comes closer to your hip, that's also hip (coughs) flexion. So when someone's doing a wall squat, they're pretty much... in a a seated position which means that the psoas is in a shortened position so the stimulus they're giving the psoas is to function in a shortened situation and uh, the other issue that I see is that's a sagittal plane that's only one plane of motion right so then it gets locked in so anytime we have them go into the frontal plane or the transverse plane they don't have that ability because the psoas doesn't Right. It, it, the, the psoas has never been put in that position. doesn't
2: have that mobility. So you're saying then, at ball players, the reason there's so many sports hernias is because when they possibly jump up in the air, they've never been in that position. It's shortened and it can cause a hernia.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, a hernia is a tear in the connective tissue. And so, I mean, basically what happens, the definition of an injury is, you know, uh, when motion meets stillness, right? And so what happens is if, if, if you're having to go back into extension, but your hip flexors are so tight they don't allow you to, but your body, your, your torso, your bones keep going that way, right? Well, what's going to tear? The connective tissue, right? And so that's what a hernia is. But a lot of it's because it's like the same thing you said. Even the linemen, they're always in hip flexion, but they never really go into hip extension, right? So they become so hip flexion dominant that that's why you, you see guys when they're driving linemen uh, down the field, their butts are sticking out because their pelvis can't come through because their hip flexors are so tight.
2: Yeah, that's one to strengthen us. That's exactly why we squat wide and sumo deadlift. But another, it leads to injuries if you don't counterbalance this. That's also why we have a hip quad machine to build the mobility in the hips and and uh, stretch out the psoas. Functional mobility, because correct. Yeah, 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 exactly. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, there's um, a, a few years back, uh, Diane Gautry Um, a Jamaican um, long jumper would do 250 leg curls every day with a 10 pound ankle weights we do similar things but with no injuries when she slacked off the leg curls she got leg injuries so what's that say you have to constantly work the soft tissue these light weights high repetitions work the ligaments and tendons and that's going to cause injuries now here at Westside we rotate a lot of exercises uh, um, standing leg curl glued ham inverse curl reverse hyper and every uh, every day i mean seven days a week they'll do at least 200 uh, leg curls with either ankle weights or bands while we sit on a plow box hook a band in front of us and do very explosive leg curls um you were talking about preloading the hamstring so when we do it we let our we let the band pour our leg straight out and then slam it back as fast as possible to try to build all the pressure in the ligaments and tendons that that's where connected tissue uh kinetic energy is stored in connected tissue and that makes one explosive Large muscles doesn't mean you're a high jumper or anything else. Um, so The largest isn't always the strongest. Um, um, would you like that, to, Tom? Uh, you know, um, we were talking about injury rates, and um, you got some data on that. I mean, what about, what about teams that train with weights versus teams that don't?
1: Well, there's when we're trying to find data on that for, between the articles we searched, first of all, there's so little articles on football but there's a huge amount on in soccer and we found one where they had um, they had two different groups of Swedish elite soccer players and um, within those groups one uh, they had 15 and 15 out of the 30, 15 did no weight training, the other 15 did weight training specific on hamstrings there was a significant reduction in hamstring injury in the train group where If I read it here, only one in the train group reported any injury um, or strain within the hamstring. And in the group that didn't train, um, there was uh, 10. They had 10 people who had injuries throughout the year. So 10 to 1 ratio. Basically, yep. And um, they say here that, reading it here, hamstring injuries, that. Yeah, a significant difference uh, between weight training and non-weight training group and this is throughout soccer so soccer is a huge um, problems with ACL injuries and ankle injuries and just by strengthening the hamstrings ACL injuries are reduced and ankle injuries were reduced I'll, I'll get to John why do you think that is why do you think that the ACL injuries are going to be reduced follow on down to the ankle
0: so the, the ACL is loaded, lo- it's the anterior ligament in the knee and what happens is that's going to prevent the knee from going too anterior, too too much forward, right? So what's the muscle in the back that's going to stop that? The hamstring, the, the gastric nemus coming in there, you know, all that stuff is what's going to prevent it from going too far forward. But, you know, if we don't have that strength, guess what? The knee keeps going, right? And the hamstrings can't pull it back. Well, you're going to get it. It's like having a race car with with regular brakes right you, you have all this mobility but you can't control it right and yeah, so that ne- extension exactly and so boom
2: there goes the acl well you see i watch football and I, or right now there's so many injuries at nfl a lot of them are non-contact acl this makes no sense to me this is absolutely ridiculous to me i can't even fathom how they're going to have injuries right and a lot of it would be you know
0: i know a lot of people will say oh there's muscle imbalances and all that that's true but it's also if the connective tissue was stronger if the muscles were stronger you're at a less likely rate to get injured
1: yes there's many yes Tommy. i have another study here that we got because you were asking me well how many injuries are done in the weight room compared to the field and there's very little data on that but i did find one a four-year study of weight room injuries in a national sample of collegiate football teams now if you can take a guess at how many injuries out of 100 percent happen in the weight room it was 0.7 percent of total injuries reported um, from the weight room. Where well, then? Where would the ninety-nine
2: point three percent injuries come from? The field.
1: Uh, who knows? <laughs> Math. <laughs> Math
2: says yes.
1: But um, and it, but again, the, the data is so sparse, which Under- obviously the reason for that is because people you know don't care; they don't know how to train stuff correctly.
2: Exactly. Um, either um, o- it's always overused and undertrained. Yeah.
1: Exactly. A big thing with with it- coaches that we see coming in. Just if you take a squat, for example, they think they can box squat, they think they can squat, but they have no idea what they're doing. If you look stand back, you see they're firing the quads. They have no idea how to fire in a squat correctly.
0: Well, see, that's an interesting thing, too, because, you know, think of, you know, I know it took me a long time to really figure out and understand what I was trying to do in a box squat, Mm -hmm. where you're taking your pelvis, you're driving it back, and then you're driving your pelvis forward, right? A lot of guys are just Mm -hmm. doing knee extension, right, because they don't have any strength at all, but it's really easy just to do knee extension. So you see them just doing, going down on a box and doing basically leg pressing it up with a back extension instead of any hip drive. You know what I mean? So that all that poor uh, biomechanics transfers
2: over to athletics, so then you're at higher risk for injury. Athletes come here all the time, and we've noticed one thing. This is for years and years. And We're huge in soccer uh, or rugby overseas in soccer. I had to back up Goldie for United, Manchester stayed with me for six months. Um, athletes normally – have a hard time getting off the box. They don't have any hips. Once they get off the box of light weights, their legs will propel them to the top. Uh, but their hip, their hips are so weak they cannot flex off the box, and the hip starts everything.
0: Right. Well, that's even like the guy. There's a UFC fighter in here this morning, right? <laughs> that's right. And you put him in the belt squat, and you're trying to get him to drive his his pelvis through, and he can't drive his pelvis through. So it's like, how are you punching with any strength if you can't have if you're not driving through your foot if it's not because everything's going through the chain. So if you're not able to drive through your foot, drive through your pelvis, then drive through thoracic cavity, right? I mean, you're leaving so much strength on the table. And he, he didn't really understand. He needed how much coaching to figure out how to actually drive his pelvis and move his pe- pelvis through the belt squat.
2: And this particular fighter, we won't mention what division is actually ranked third right now in the UFC. Yeah. And he has what happens to him, the same thing with football. He starts to train, then close to a match or during the season, injuries occur. Why? He has no base. And then once, so they're afraid to even do base work during the year because they're afraid he can't handle it, but that's when he gets hurt. So if you start with a base and maintain a base, you don't get hurt. And um, uh, this is this is this hard um, thing for me to understand in football. You know, general exercise, in other words, non-specific exercise, like school, all type of exercise you can think of, have only a positive effect on training. They, they strengthen muscles, ligaments, tendons, and bones. And um, But no real effect on coordination or technique. But yet people don't understand why it's so important to do it. I had a, I'm going to talk uh, soon about um, 40 times in the NFL. This is something different, but I'm going to really elaborate on that later. Um, 100 out of 203 high school combine players who went on to the NFL combine, 157 out of 203 um, ran the same or slower. It averaged 3 to 5 tenths slower. Why? but poor weight training what makes a person run force production so we'll get into that at another time and um you know a lot of times also you have injury because of bilateral deficits and to me that goes right back to the SOAS problem that you're talking about anytime you have a bilateral deficit more than 10 percent you're looking for injuries
0: yeah so a lot of times what what you'll see and like you know we've like for instance, the track girl that you're working with right now, yep. right? That's the common issue. She kept having, she had a limb length discrepancy and she had a pelvic rotation, right? So we know she had dysfunction in all three planes of motion, so she kept having these issues. Well, what, what was causing her pelvic rotation, limb length discrepancy? It's going to be so as quadratus lumborum dysfunction. And so once we were able to get that functioning correctly again, her alignment goes back, right? And then her performance increases. Now she can train without pain.
2: Now, see that a D1 school and a very famous one. Yet the coaches did not notice this, but I noticed this. I'm not a doctor, and neither are they. But why did I notice this? Because I I pay attention to training. I learn from the people I've trained more than they learn from me, possibly.
0: And you can see that's what's interesting. Is you can see when somebody has a limb length discrepancy, and they go to squat, they're going to do two things. One, one foot's going to be in front of the other. Mm. And that's how they're that's how they're balancing their pelvis. Or two, they line their fi- their feet up, and then their pelvis rotates in the transverse plane. But either way, you can see it when they're squatting, and you can really see it if you load a bunch of bands onto it. You can see all the compensation occurring in the transverse plane.
1: Mm-hmm. A big thing to say about athletes, especially we got UFC, like especially UFC fighters are the, the, up, the, the elite or pro athletes. A lot of these guys are they're too tough for their own good. Especially the fighters, they'll get a niggly little injury. And they let it manifest and manifest and manifest. Then it becomes a norm, and then they come in. They're like, "God, my my back hurt me because I got out of a chair." We're well, like, "That's not the problem," but they never address the small issues. That the small issues get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Then their knee gets sore out of nowhere, and they think, "Well, why is my knee getting sore?" They never think it could be either related to your hamstrings or so as your IT anything. But it's that's the thing is the catch to catch it at the start, and especially coaches. If again it comes back to the coaches, if your coaches train you incorrectly you can't get any better. All you know is you're gonna get worse and worse and worse.
0: Yeah, and how do you not notice that your athlete, when they're doing a squat, right, their chest is caving in, or they're rotating one way or the other. I mean, I mean that right there shows a discrepancy. And so if you keep training that with those altered biomechanics, altered biomechanics create compensation. Then what happens is if you have compensation, you have other structures doing things that they're not designed to do. Once they reach that threshold, they get injured right and so that's the problem and people think that you can only you can only maybe do treatment for that it's not true there's a lot of weight lifting stuff that you can do
2: to correct those deficiencies one of the greatest way to build flexibility for instance is weights uh it's amazing more weights on your back you go lower (laughs) Anyone who doesn't believe me, take a camber bench bar, five inch camber bench bar. A strong guy can never touch his chest until you load up enough weight and eventually touches his chest. But uh, read a few books and it will tell you about the best way to gain flexibility is through um, um, weight resistance. We do this all the time in a box squat. Uh, I've had, uh, matter of fact, with Charles Bentley come in. Of course, he had retired because of two patella ruptures. And Charles couldn't get down to about a 17. And, and within 10 minutes, I had him down to a 13 inch box. By pulling out an inch at a time with the weight, the weight extra, you know, on his back, forced it down to lower, lower positions. And so we gain um, flexibility and mobility um, uh, around... Uh, and, strength. For, and strength. And strength because you're going you're through a full everything. range of motion. If you yeah. don't work through a full range of motion, you would be weak. It's called the law of accentuation. You have to work through the major range of motion that your sport participant is. So if you don't, you're going to get hurt. Right. But the
1: same with that... Uh the guy who plays for Australia, the rugby player, the same principle. Right. He couldn't do a box squat. And he lowered him down, lowered him down, lowered him down. He got range of motion in his hips. He felt way better. And out of one visit, he, he got dropped from the team. He was here for a little no. bit. And then he got picked back up within three months. No, less than three months. He was Yeah, well,
2: like a month, he's yeah. back on the
0: team. Right, yeah, because I know it's, it's cool with, you know, CrossFit kind of has said, oh, mobility, this mobility, that mobility, blah, blah, blah. Right. Okay. There's an optimal level of mobility and mobility needs to go hand in hand with stability. Okay. And like Louie said, when you're using weights, you're training mobility and stability. There is instances where you have dysfunction and you need to gain mobility in certain tissues. However, the best thing that you can do is lift
2: weights for mobility and stability. Right. Yeah, also you can be too flexible, and that that will damage a person just as much as being not flexible enough.
0: Well, yeah, that's just like the knee. Let's say that you have Mm -hmm. a lot of – got too much flexibility in the knee, so the knee
2: keeps going, but there's there's no stability to pull it back. So what happens? Ligament tears. Mm -hmm. You know, people – a common question, me to come here, and I'll talk to a coach who can't lift himself off the commode, but he'll say to me, well, why do you squat wide because football's played in here? Well, it's not played in here. A six-foot-six guy's got his feet wide, but by squatting close – One, you can never put your feet apart. That's how you develop force. Driving your feet apart like the sumo deadlift is the best thing I've ever seen. Um, If you read uh, the book uh, Underground Secrets of Running fashion by Barry Ross, he talks about deadlifting. Most people do max effort work for for sprinters, yet they don't do it for football. And this is just unbelievable to me. Uh, If it don't hurt a sprinter, why would it hurt a football player? And so uh, you have to squat wide to build up all these essential muscles that run, the running muscles, hamstring, glute, adductor, abductor, Uh, low back and hips
0: and and that's the thing too is you know someone said well why louie do you squat out so wide well the psoas right when it's short it's going to drive the knees inward right so so when you when you're giving someone a cue to squat and you're saying arch up, arch up, hips out, hips out, you're telling all the antagonist muscles of the psoas, you're saying psoas, I don't want you to be a mover, I want you to be more of a stabilizer, I want you to stabilize the spine, stabilize the pelvis, I want the glutes, the hamstrings to move, right, Right? so the wider we go out and squat, the more, the the easier it is for those muscles to do their job, right, and like you said, you know, that may be true that, you know, when the, the stance that they're in squatting may be wider than whatever their football stance is. Okay, but there's no weight training that is going to 100% carry over into football. The objective is to emphasize the muscles that you need the most, which is your glutes, your hamstrings, your posterior chain, right? So then, why wouldn't you? Why
2: would you not do a? Why would you not do it? Right. Um, You know, a lot of people always talk about Olympic squats, but Olympic lifters can't squat big, and the reason is when they squat down, they'll roll their hip toward their ankle, so they're taking all the pressure off the hamstrings. Lift pretty much like bodybuilders would squat that way because he didn't want to build big butts, right? Yeah. So if you don't have a big butt, you ain't got a strong butt. (laughs) Yeah. Athletes got big butts. They got to get a big hips. And uh, that's what makes them very powerful.
1: You know, back to football, what I could never understand is they don't want injuries. And football, if you take it as a game as a whole, roughly about 11 to 12 minutes of total playing time over the whole three and a half hours. But yet in the off season, the coaches will have them run, 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 run. And if you break down injuries, running is up, up there with basketball for hamstring uh, related injuries, but yet they'll put them in the exercises where they're going to get injured the most, but they won't do the weight room where they think they're going to get injured the most, where in fact they get injured the least. Yeah, yeah. I, think,
0: I think what you're trying to say is like repetitive strain injury, right? Yeah. So, how many times does IT band go over uh, the, the knee or the hip when you're running? You know, it could go over a thousand times during the sprints. Well, how many times does it go in three repetitions of a squat? Three times. Exactly. Right? So if you're worried about repetitive strain injuries where you're right, that's where most injuries occur is repetitive strain, then you would think that you
1: would try to decrease that volume. And then you get all these geeks. Louie and I were talking about this. That you Look at the guys at the top, world record holders. And they say, well, their technique is imperfect. This is wrong. That's wrong. How are they a world record holder? If they're, tech- they're at the best. Who are you to criticize them? But it's the same with. with the, like, yeah, it just blows my Bolt. mind. Bolt,
2: Bolt and Johnson hold the world records in sprinting from 100 meters to 400 meters. The 100 to 150, the 3 to 4. Uh, and yet they both, uh, people complain about their technique, but they are the world's fastest. Why? Because they have great force production, 1,000 pounds per step. And so the harder. Um, force production you have, the less minimal time on the ground you have. I mean, the only difference between running and and flying is is ground contact. So the less ground contact, you're coming close to flying, and that's the fastest guys. So, you know, it all breaks down. And people work on, it's good to work on technique, but a person must have their own style. Biomechanically, some people are built to do something a certain way. If you try to change their style, you're going to hurt them. Just work on their technique.
0: Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's totally true because think about it this way. Like, if I gave uh, if I gave everyone in here, if I put, like, a tack on their shoe and there's 20 people, right, there's going to be 20 different compensation patterns, right? The body's going to adapt differently, right? So I don't think there is – this is the perp- – we know what things are supposed to do, right? But it may not look like that. Does that make sense?
2: Right. You know, a while back, I don't like to do it. I've got two guys. I just one took off, but I've got two guys cuffing the NFL – i i really don't even want them because four or five years ago i said i don't want to train anymore i had at least a dozen line linemen or uh defensive or so forth i averaged three tenths in two months taking time off and when they would come here and at, in the, after the very beginning i could close my eyes and know the problems i could immediately start to work on because they have no posterior chain the posterior chain is the biggest word i've ever heard repeated all time but no one knows how to work it um i did a um i did a um a skype with exercise fizz um, um, class, all, all um, six-year students with two professors. And an hour and a half, they could not answer one question I asked them. This this astounded me. And at the end, I said, can you please buy a couple books <laughs> and read them? And matter of fact, Tom, you run this, the West Side Sports, um, or you know the, the, the certificate for sports. What is the ratio of passing, and basically who takes this test?
1: it's got an 85 percent fail rate the first time they take it
2: and what's the majority of people take it
1: strength coaches Mm -hmm. college coaches and
2: and, and it's about three percent powerlifting 97 percent science you must understand science or you can't participate in sport
0: yeah uh, yeah that's uh yeah i mean that's the um I think it goes back to that thing we said before, where Westside is science, right? But Westside is applied science, applied science, right? So we may not have all the studies here and all that other stuff, even though you do have a ton of studies here, mm-hmm. right? It may not be enough for that crowd in academia, but that crowd in academia, they can write these studies. But can they make an athlete?
1: Do you see who the, who's in the studies? Do you see the people they test the studies on? Yeah,
2: yeah.
1: yeah that's the that's the big thing. If, if you're gonna dispute us against a, a study, well, show me the athletes, show me the caliber of people you test on. Um,
2: as you well know, Tom, because you keep the stats here at the gym, uh, my study on squatting is, is on 80 people that have officially squatted at least 800. Okay. Who has a study like that? Our top five deadlift average is 880 pounds, soon to change in two weeks, we hope. And we, we don't stay stagnant, we go up. Why does everyone run the same time, you ever ask yourself this? Why in football is the same time for the same position good 20 years ago as it is today? Why haven't they made any progress? Possibly because the coaches don't know how to make progress. It's the, it's all on a coach.
1: Why do students go into colleges or, or go from high school, achieving great results, go into a no. collegiate sports program? They don't come out any better or they get worse.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, as um you know in the education world, every year you get a little smarter hopefully. But in the sports world, it seems like they're stagnant. What they, they don't learn anything in the last, it could be a coach for 40 years and still doing what they're doing 40 years ago. If that is true, you're developing an athlete of 40 years ago. You need to be developing today's athlete. All these football injuries are not because these players are so strong. These players are not strong. They are weak. That's why they're getting hurt. And, you know, if you put 11 strong kids on a football field and 11 weak kids on a football field, I will lay money that 11 weak kids are going to get hurt. And that's exactly what's happening in football. They are weak. When they collide with each other now, they're getting hurt. No one trains the neck. It's another subject. But everyone, all football players have a huge neck. You'd say, hey, what do you do? You wrestle or play football? Oh, I, you know, I play football rough. Because they had a freaking 22-inch neck. You don't see that anymore. Why are you have so many hamstring injuries? Because they don't train the lower back or the hamstring. They go side by side. And I used to go uh, to schools, but I don't anymore. But I would go and look at my reverse hyper. They would have 50 pounds on a reverse hyper. I have one reverse hyper load. It's 400 welded on the machine. It can't be lighter than 400. Yeah. We don't have any, any hamstrings. I have had seven women deadlift over five hundred. I've had a woman squat seven hundred and seventy pounds at one sixty-five. On the other end, a woman squat five thirty at one twenty-three. We don't have any hamstring injuries. So why do these people have? Ham- you know, D one athletes, the greatest athletes, they're supposed to be uh, going in the NFL. Supposed to be one tenth of the top greatest athletes, you know, at least in football in America. Yet they got all these injuries. It makes no sense. I hate to see what the bottom 10% is doing, or 1%, they'd they be, you know, on Medicare
1: at 19 years old. I yeah. have a thing here that says, for football again, 1.5 million young men participate in uh, football within the U.S. Estimated 1.2 million football-related injuries are sustained. Out of that, uh, 50% um, of all injuries are lower extremities, and 36% of that are knees, knee injuries. So, again, all comes
2: The yeah. being
1: weak. Yep. Yeah.
2: I mean, you, I think, what was the quote you said? Weak things break? That's right. You know, I can say myself, I was I was top 10 in the world for 30 years. But it, I tore my patella tendon in half when I was 43. I was never going to lift again. I had 821 squat. But at 48, I was pulled out of retirement by someone in my gym. And at 50 years old, I squatted 920 pounds. It was the third greatest squat in the world that year. How did I do that with, when I, I tore my patella in half? Smart training. Smart training. All half string gluten.
0: Yeah, but I, I think there is this huge disconnect in, uh, like you said, that you know there's science and data out there, but people don't know how to apply it. Right. And application is all that matters in athletics.
2: <clears throat> Another thing, they want to do Olympic weightlifting. Olympic weightlifting biomechanically is only suited for one thing, Olympic weightlifting. People think it makes you explosive, it does not explosive strength measured by velocity It's 30 you use 30 to 40 percent it's a fast velocity. actually most Olympic weightlifting is too fast. If you look at Hill's equation of muscle contraction, objects in fast velocity produce small force. So it's of little help it, it, you know it's like a javelin uh, when you when one throws a javelin it leaves a hand about 34 meters per second a shot put about 14. And when we do our speed squatting it's about 0.8 meters. So as you see as weights grow heavier resistance, um, force grows greatly at that point. So you don't—I've always—I've mentioned this a few times. You have to use the right weight. You know, you have to have the right size bait to catch the right size fish. If you want to develop uh, force and power, it has to re, uh, come uh, match the force velocity curve. I've always said, if I got a window and you give me hundred wiffle balls, I'll never knock that window off a wiffle ball. My arm speed is constant because the wiffle ball is too light. You gave me a shot put; I couldn't get the shot put over to the window. Why? Because shot, piece, shot put's too heavy. Give me a baseball and knock out 100 windows at your house. Why? Because it matches a force velocity curve. These are things coaches need to know, and they need to know to train the hamstrings. You cannot train hamstrings. You, know, you ever wonder this, why don't migrant workers have bad backs? They bend over every day of their life, but they don't have bad backs. They train it every day. Lower backs comprise most of the ligaments and tendons. You hurt your lower back and never gets black or blue. Hurt a peck, it gets black or blue. Yeah, it's
0: thoracolumbar fascia. Thank you. You know, your lats don't connect into your spine. It connects to your thoracolumbar fascia. It connects to your opposite side glute, right? So it all goes back to, and that's one thing that you, I think you forgot to mention earlier when you were talking about all the different exercises, sled pulls, sled drags, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's a staple here. I mean, Right. Right, and so that's another thing. So you're working that same, all, all. you're, you're actually mechanically working what you're going to do on the field. Right. I yeah. would say that's almost the closest functional thing you know, that, that, that you can do is sled poles, and, and nobody does sled work. Right. Correctly. Yeah, exactly. But I, I want to I ask you one thing because you mentioned it earlier uh, on the previous podcast when we were talking about uh, eccentrics and creating, uh, creating a uh, and connective tissue and strengthening it. Like the box spot, right? Because if you, if you, uh, you, you said you did a, a study with Dave Tate, I believe. Where it was about the stretch Smith. reflex, Matt Smith. Matt Smith. Okay, all right. So why is it? that w- – w- Would that be something? Because because I don't know, but would that be something that a football player could do? Where where because if they're seated, because you even said it, you know, they come out and the quarterbacks <coughs> change into play and all this other stuff, right? And so they have if they have a stretch reflex that has, you know, it has two seconds, right? Is that something that they can start to work in where they do a box squat
2: that's overload with a. Uh, <coughs> As a study Dave, you you mentioned Dave Tate you got a little wrong but yes it's another study but I was in a study with ten of my guys and these are all top ten squatters and um, I u- we use near max I use 485 pounds and 375 pound of band tension I can stay on the box for eight seconds and get up at the same speed I could speed strength Dave Tate could stay down for five and get up now Dave was way more explosive than I was you know way younger half my age but nevertheless um, but I can maintain the stretch reflex setting on the box for um, Uh, eight seconds and and get up at the same speed and everybody says well big deal what's i got to do football how about those long snaps like you're talking about the quarterback's always changing plays changing plays and you got the line sitting there forever can't flinch right can't flinch or it's you're in motion so uh that's what that could do for you and uh and you talk about overloading um the you know the connected tissue We'll go back, and I'll mention again like I did before about Matt Smith, and this is done by a calculus professor here with me. Um, Matt box-squatted 930-pound uh, squatter. Box-squatted 550 for three singles. He averaged 9 tenths down uh, eccentrically, 9 tenths up concentrically. Um, he uh, We we took off weight at advance, and when Matt stood up, he's Matt six 6'5". It, it was 750 at the top and shrank to 550 in the bottom with a slow center. but we went down fast. Um, and he got, he got up and down in the average of 5.4 uh, down and 5.7 up. We moved 200 pounds through the same distance, three-tenths faster. And I said way back then, if a coach can't pick this up, they should not be a coach. And how did I do it? Over speed eccentric, causing the stretch reflex in the, in the soleus.
0: But the cool part about that, too, is think about it. When a lineman goes in their stance, there's nothing loading them other than their own body weight. Right. But how functional it would be to do a squat with bands on it Right, where now we've totally loaded that position, right? So now when they just have their own body weight, they're going to be able to drive even more force through, it, right?
2: Right, uh, all you got to do is take a light weight and squat, and you'll, you'll stand up and you're going like, gee, I don't feel nothing at the top. But you put a light band even on the bar, and stand up, you feel band tension. You, it, that's what accommodating resistance is. As your body leverage becomes greater, you must use more resistance, thus accommodating resistance. That's the name. Uh, if you look at super training uh not you know they credit me with combination method training where i use i was the first in america to really push the bands and the chains and bands and chains and weight releases and so forth so you need to do these things you have to have contrast um, we find our biggest uh, box jumps in this this isn't me i always get feedback from my athletes and this is the nfl ball players and track and field but by, warming, by working up to a certain distance with 10-pound ankle weights or 20s for real strong people, then we would take them off and continue to jump. They would invariably break the record, either with uh, kettlebells, weight, added weight vests at the time, or with nothing. But how is that? That's a contrast. Same thing weight releasers are. But the bands are better because the bands um, will shoot you down, and then, they, then they're relittered on the way up. And your body will respond almost to equal and opposite effect. I think that's in physics. Yes,
0: yeah. Yeah, um, so, yeah, so exactly. So what you're saying is in human function, the body is always loaded. right? If I want to throw a ball, I go back walk, before I go forward. That's right, a windup. Right? And, so, and so what's the only way that you can... If you do a wall squat, what are you loading? A zero. Exactly. But if you do a box squat, you're loading the exact muscles that you need to come out of there. So why would you ever do a wall squat... Why would you not do a box squat?
2: I have I have no answer. Right, to because answer. the
0: box squat's gonna enable you to sit down, maintain that stretch reflex for however long the athlete can, like they would have to do in an actual football <clears> stance. <throat> right. And, so, and then they're going
2: to come up with that same force. And also a lot of people ask me, why, why not uh, pause squat? Well, when you pause squat, the muscle's in a static position. It's not doing either lengthening or contracting. But anyone's box squat correctly, when they sit on the box, the muscles are always slightly releasing. Then they're contracted very violently. And also, you're, when, you, uh, when you do squatting or jumping, uh, you, the, the, the size of your feet have to do with how much mass is on the ground. But when you sit on a box, your glutes are pretty big, and they're having a collision with there too. It's not a perfect collision like two cue balls, because uh, you know it, it's inelastic. It's not inelastic; it's elastic. So you're going to lose some. It's like two cars running each other; both get dents in it. But you get this tremendous explosion off that box, and that's why box squats are superior. And anyone says not, I have an 18-year-old girl that could jump on a 55-inch box, and an intern who's jumped on 63 and a half, an intern.
1: I've got a question for you. We've been bringing up about hamstring injuries, um, how they're prevalent or they're everywhere. How do you fix them? That's the big, like people don't, they seem to know they're there, but no one knows how to actually fix them. Like how, how, if you had someone come in with weak hamstrings or hamstring injury, what would you do?
2: Well, right off the bat, you know, a pyramid is only tall as its base. So when people come in, immediately I make them do all this uh, hamstring work. Again, 200 leg curls a day, sometimes 400. You know that, Tom. Uh, They'll use ankle weights. I prefer bands. I like bands. I like to shoot them out and jerk them back. And then uh, so to do all that, teach them proper lifting technique. People don't know proper lifting technique. You know, you never heard me say I can coach football basketball baseball i've been up i've been beat up too many times to teach how to fight so uh but i do know weights i've done this since i was 14 competed i'm now 68 years old and i know how so what you do you have to do enormous amount of work the hamstrings take enormous amount of work if all you gotta do uh, is uh, as they grow larger in our gym the quadriceps normally get a little smaller and the quads and the hams get bigger and the squats go up if i watch a person their quads maintain the same size a lot of times their squat doesn't go anywhere so it's all about the hamstring work and the soft tissue. That's how we keep them. And uh, Tommy, you're talking about sled pulls. Uh, um, you know, you were John, and in the beginning, uh, for uh, uh, someone that's very weak, and all the ball players coming up were very weak, I would make them take over stride, touch the heel, and pull through. It's a lot like a partial glued ham. They build up all the posterior chain. Once they adapt to that, and they get and they build up power, then then we start getting some of the training, maybe a quarter on the balls of their feet. All right, and then, um, and then, uh, but very powerful, um, walks. You, you don't want to run, you don't want to use momentum. The only time you sprint for sled, you use 20% of body weight. This is what the Jamaicans recommend, that's what we found. If you want to build uh strength and endurance to maintain top speed, use body weight on a sled, and uh, um, the distance will be up to you. So,
1: on the on, sir, uh, on sir, the sled, sir. you see people pulling it. When you see an athlete who's, who has knocked knee, what's that assignment?
2: Uh, right away, uh, yeah, they got weak hamstrings and so forth. And we fixed that before with a sprint girl. Uh, she came here and her knees is almost touching like a lot of ball players, like Tommy's saying. So what do we do? We make them carry a med ball. Carry a med ball around their stomachs like a pregnant woman. You see a pregnant woman walk, she left leg out, right leg out, left leg out, right leg out. And it absolutely, and within three weeks, you can correct that. All these injuries for these girls is pathetic. All you got, all you coaches got, the girls got ACLs and all these injuries. You're doing a terrible job. There's no reason. A little bit of weight training, you know, girls and what else is weak? Um, the uh, groin muscles, you know, inside their legs. You know, mom always told them to cross their legs. Well, that's good you know, while you're in church, but you got to, uh, you got to build inside. You got to build the leg on four sides. All muscles have four sides. Your waist, you got your, your stomach, your obliques, and your back. You got to train four sides. Well, yeah. John, when you train forearms for bodybuilding, you, you use four yeah. different grips to
0: work all four sides. Tissues are three-dimensional, right? That's the cool part, right, is I think as a strength coach, uh, you know, what I de- try to do with people in treatment is I try to I try to give them tasks that they need to achieve because that's what a sport is. That's what the body understands. The body understands tasks, right? And so I think it's the strength coach's job. What you're trying to do with all these fighters, you t- and Tom, right, there's all this crazy stuff that nobody's ever seen. Right, but what you're doing is you're you're giving that athlete you're giving them a stimulation, and their body has to figure out a solution to that stimulate. Right, and then what happens is their body's going to figure out what's the best solution, what's optimal. Right, so that's when when they are in an awkward situation in a game and their foot's out. Right, if they've done those walks or those sled pulls out like that, their body's been there. It has a solution for that. It's not weak. It goes okay. I've been here before. I know how to do that. Right, and so I think a lot of people. Kind of get lost in the squat deadlifts and all this other stuff. And they don't realize all the sled work, the inverse leg curl. They don't understand that, all it's the eighty percent. Yeah, is eighty. 80%, yeah, is eighty percent.
2: Eighty percent of our training is spatial exercise. Only twenty percent for barbell. Right, and we're and you know as people think of us as powerlifters.
1: When you go back to we're all organisms, and the definition of an organism is something that can uh, adapt to the environment it's based upon. Right. So, but what we do is just before they adapt, we change it all up. Because um, to adapt to a training is never to adapt. That's right. And that's what we do. We, we just, just before they get used to it, we change it all up. That's why you're constantly getting
2: better. Westside did not say that. Ben Tabasnik, that's who invented the parachute for track and field. Okay. You'll hear us quote a lot of things, but my last book, I have seven pages of references. And most coaches have never read three books in their life. If it was, two of them was a Playhouse, you know, Playmate or something like that. <laughs> so you got to read and not muscle. And you can't read bodybuilding muscles or book, magazines. That's not, you don't see anyone look like that on a football field. These muscles are long, athletes have long muscles, right. you know. It doesn't,
0: ma- it doesn't matter what the muscle looks like. It matters how it looks like in function.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right, that's right. right. Yeah, all athletes, all great athletes have long long limbs, long legs, long arms, short torso. So that's why, um, That's what, if you look at a football field, that's why the guys, half of them look like their uh, arms are about to touch their knees. That makes them the great athlete, body structure. And that's that's basically what it is.
1: I've got a question about, um, we constantly get it in here with coaches, we've got hamstring injuries but we have glute hams, they do glute hams every day, well, why, and then we tell them well you need to go use an inverse curl, but can you tell me why the inverse curl is better than a glute ham and why glute hams are not done correctly? Well because John's
2: medical background, I'm going to say why glute hams don't work and I'm going to let John say why inverse curls do. I've I've observed many many people doing glute hams, and I, then I noticed that everyone, as they curl up, they would just slide their knees down the pad, and so they were actually cheating. I mean, um, Charles Bentley said one out of hundred linemen can do a legit glute ham raise. Did he not say that? This is a, this is the pro bowler. Now you now you tell me, uh, you know, the inverse curl is a modified Russian leg curl on down on the ground. So can you explain, John, why it's more effective
0: as far in, com- in, com- in comparison to glute ham? comparison well one i think like you said the stabilization occurs right so now instead of it's more of an emphasis on the hamstrings in that specific posterior chain that we know through all the statistics here that that's weak and it's probably under trained right which is the reason why there's an inverse leg curl here and we don't have those issues right but i think the the biggest advantage that the inverse leg curl has is it's going to stabilize your torso so you get some stability and then you're loading the hamstrings right and then you're and then so in function they're always loaded before they're exploded that's right. basic human function so this is the most effective way to load the hamstrings right and it's it's the same thing your body's having to overcome
2: a full uh, range of motion
0: yeah and you're able to go into full range of motion exactly like he said right but the other cool part um to me uh about the uh, inverse leg curl other than you can go into significantly more uh, range of motion, is the muscle is significantly loaded before it's exploded. And that's how it, That when it's asked to do something and function, it's always going to be loaded, right? And so you're creating more and more strength, force, functional hypertrophy, everything.
1: And from, to, on top of what you said, from a strength coach's point of view, what I like about the inverse is curl. When you look at it, you can see if an athlete's cheating. They can shoot the hips back. And that range of motion is a true range of motion. There is no cheating. You can see what the athlete is doing from start to finish. You can see if the hips are up. You can see if they're tight. The soles are tight. They're all bunched. And yeah. Everything. is yeah. the feedback. These machines give coaches feedback if they know what. Yeah. They look Tom. Through.
0: Tom said it perfectly, right? So if they if they get hip flexion, we know their hip flexors are tight, which we know their their hamstrings is, is going to have a dysfunctional function, right? It's going to it's going to be in dysfunction. So they're not going to be able to fire it. So then we would know that hey, we need to loosen up these hip flexors and then go in there and do that the inverse uh leg curl yeah
2: Yeah. time you got anything else
1: Mm, we do have a a few questions you want to run through them okay
0: and the other thing too that that i'd like to also add is you know i know when i personally do that uh machine i'm able to stay upright right my chest isn't going to collapse so i can right that pad is cueing me to stay mm-hmm. upright. And then the other thing, too, is I feel a ton of it in my gastrox my calves. Well, I was going right? to bring that point you know I mean? up. Like, uh, the tune like, Yeah, you do a leg yeah. curl, you don't really feel... If you do a well, leg curl, really, it's not functional at all because no, the muscle...
2: It has no toe plate. Y- yeah. When You you know, the reason it's called... a And originally, it was called calf ham glute. Exactly how you run. Calf ham glute. Oh, that's right. Oh, I didn't and know that's it. why they got toe plates. I've always said back, back raise machine, you know, hyperextension... A normal back extension or hyperextension. Um, you need a if you don't have a toe plate, that doesn't work, yeah, because you drive your feet to the floor and your you lift weights off the ground, yep. or you drive your feet to the floor when you run, <laughs> yeah, so,
0: exactly.
1: Okay. I got a question for John. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. Um, Which hamstring muscle is most likely to tear and injure, and why, if there is one? Uh, I don't think I, I
0: don't look at the hamstring as like a group. I don't look at it as, you know, semi semi tendinosus biceps, long head, short head, right? I, I look at, I don't look at, I would say it's going to be dependent on your dysfunction, right? You know what I mean? Right. And so yes. I, I don't think that one, I think that if you have dysfunction in one, so let's say that, and technically it'd be one side, so it'd be like biceps, long head, and short head. If you're going to have that lateral weakness, then guess what? Your knee is going to go more lat, right? So it all depends on, Uh, what they're doing but that's the same thing you know if you're doing a wide box squat you're hitting everything on the outside but then you go do a ham uh, glute ham curl you're hitting adductors right you're hitting
2: everything so you're getting pretty much the entire the entire muscle belly and then we finish with ultra high repetitions the 200 repetitions to make sure we fulfill the ligament and tendon building yeah yeah go for it well because you know muscles are built at a lot faster rate than ligaments and tendons but now that we know that so at only a fool would not train ligaments and tendons to keep up with the muscle that's what we do that's why we don't have injuries
1: yeah and follow up that question how does art help with injury so on a hamstring injury for example
0: yeah so um i think like uh Like so ART is active release techniques and that's basically biomechanics based soft tissue treatment and you use uh, a lot of tension with a minimal amount of compression whatever compression is needed and um, basically what you're doing is the uh, so everything's held together by connective tissue or uh, collectively together that's called the fascial system and so what happens is um, like the like you got basically two compartments to the hamstring a medial one on the inside one on the outside and so those tissues have to be able to translate in between each other and so what ART does is it gets those muscles to to be able to mechanically translate so there's less restriction in there and then you're able to take out any tension but a lot of the issue is people think they have tight hamstrings they go in there and really their hamstrings are locked long right when realistically what they need to do is they need to lengthen their psoas they need to lengthen their hip flexors and they actually need to shorten and train their hamstrings yes. Beca- right? because they're locked long, which means we need to make them short, right? So what we need to do is lengthen the hip flexors and strengthen the hamstrings.
1: Louis, do you believe hamstrings should be trained with low reps and high sets for sprinters or cons- are constantly varied? I believe for maximal strength, glute
2: ham raises. If you look at Alexis, a lot of stuff that he did and I recommend, we, we do enormous, as heavy as we can for two to six reps on the inverse curl or the glute ham. But then... We followed with ultra-high reps to build a leg the leg and tennis. With the band, I, I like band curls, personally. I like the band to pull my legs out hard, and I reverse it. reversals, you know, reversal. So then, I mean, sometimes because, I, you know, I'm old, and I've had knee difficulties, you know, um, I'll do as many as four hundred leg curls a day, and, and it keeps my it keeps me healthy, and I don't pull a hamstring. And, and you're talking about the leg curls where you're seated, 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 and you're really letting the band. Right, yeah, seated on a plyo box with a tied to a power rack or something around my ankles, and let it pull me out hard, and I, I bring it back. So, so you're letting it load the hamstring exactly. And then eccentric, then it, concentric, eccentric, concentric. Exactly.
1: Um, how do you control volume for body weight? on exercises like the glute ham raise or the inverse curl?
2: I personally I like to do it by feel. I do as many as I can. I, I do uh, 80% of our training is small exercises so if you follow the prescription that we do uh, for squatting for speed strength we do around 25 reps if you're looking and that's that's either bands and, and, and um, weight of a combination of 50% 50, 55, 60 weight 25% band or 70, 75, 80% weight we will do roughly around 25 reps. This is what AS Premlin recommend is how the Chinese train. If you're working for explosive strength, now you're only using, we use 30, next week 35, next week 40, and, the, and now we will get up to about 48 uh, total lifts in that workout with very short rest periods. Um, so if you follow this, and it's based on body weight, like if you're a 400-pound squatter, you would uh, train uh, at 50 to 60% with 25% band tension, which is two, to 20 to to and a three-week wave. You go back, and then you either add a chain um, or um, change your stance or, you, or change a bar. By changing a bar, we're changing the length of the spine. So every workout, we're doing something different. We never go through the law of accommodation. We're constantly learning new tasks by using different bars. Uh, and then we go in like, and. but the ratio, the ratio, I think what this man may be me asking, me, on reverse hyper, now a 400-pound squatter, our, the way we do it is 4,800 pounds of squatting. Um, I recommend four times that on reverse hypers. Twenty thousand pounds of reverse hypers. A thousand pound squatter here does 12 um, 12,000 pounds of squats. He has to do uh, at least forty-eight thousand pounds of reverse hypers. And a lot of them will do. It's easy, Tommy. You've seen mm-hmm. sixty thousand pounds of reverse hypers in one workout. Yep. This isn't a week now, and it's the, the weights are about fifty percent of the amount that you can squat.
1: Okay, John. I think this is for you. Um, I have a completely ruptured. Semitendinosis for about six years and docs can't reattach it do you th- think uh through rehab and strength exercises would i uh would i be back to sprinting and gameplay when i make it back for it
0: um the interesting thing about semi that semi tendinosis is uh i haven't seen a complete tear i haven't actually treated someone that has a complete tear and it matters if it's distal or or proximal does it say no Okay, so it matters kind of where that tear is. I'm, I'm assuming that it's distal down by the knee. Uh, complete rupture is different because that means that it's completely torn. Uh, but the interesting part is when that completely tears, what happens is semimembranosus is right next to tendinosus, And so what happens is a lot of times they fascially adhere to each other. So that's the reason why when you get a strain in the belly of one, right, there's really nothing else to do other than strength training and... Um, and soft tissue work, because what's gonna happen is when that tissue heals, when, when all that collagen comes in there and heals, it's gonna basically, they're gonna to heal together. And semimembranosus and semi pretty much function together, because they're in that medial compartment of the knee. So, I mean, strength training is definitely gonna help. Uh, soft tissue treatment's definitely gonna help. But his semimembranosus, that medial complex isn't gonna be like the other side that's not torn. But that doesn't mean that you can't still function
2: uh, that brings up a point a fellow in our gym 1180 1150 pound squatter in a contest uh, Tony Balagoni tore both ACLs and uh, he continued to train with 700 with 700 pounds for sets and as long as you have strong hamstrings you can work you can function with a torn ACL well, when you so talk- what so what does that say uh, coaches train the hamstrings yeah, well- you, you, you got a million dollar running back or, or or a player on your team and he tears a hamstring, He's not making that team any money nor is it you know he may be out of football at that point and uh you're actually obligated to keep these people healthy so if you do ver- a lot of hamstring work even if they tear an acl they can re- play through the season and maybe make it to next year what- one thing i hate to see on football uh everyone's wearing knee braces you know, go put, your leg, go put a healthy leg in a cast for eight weeks and take it out. See, you, you have apathy. You, you can't do that. You, you know, if you had strong muscles, I'm not saying not wear the knee brace, but they're using knee brace because they're weak. Make the muscles strong and eliminate all those
0: problems. So if, if a knee injury of the ACL means that the, the, the knee goes too far forward or too far anterior, how far forward does a knee go in a box squat? It doesn't at all okay so what what do you think the what do you think the injury rate would that would that would be if if we have to worry about the knee going too far forward to injure that what, what and we're doing a box squat what is the chances are that we're do you think that's probably the reason why he was he had an ACL injury and was still able to to train
2: right because when we when we box squat the shin is actually in front of the knee and and people don't understand box squats they all think they know it they've never done one they never been to west side a box, a true box squat is a leg curl because to get off the box, you have to pull off your heels. And how do you run? You pull with the with the
0: foot, you know, at least the ball. Well, that's like the same thing that you said. You know, you're talking about people, I think, when they're doing sled drags, they're just walking. But mm-hmm. you're saying that they basically put that foot in the ground and they're dragging through the ground mm-hmm. to get it to go. They're not actually walking, just
2: Meandering through now, with, yeah. Very powerful steps. I can close my eyes. It's a sle- if I hear the sled jerking, I know they're doing it right. And it, watch an animal. Watch a wild kingdom. Watch a cat run. How's it run? Reach out. Pulls. Pulls. And that's exactly the cycle of running. Yeah, H- Human human uh, locomotion and animal locomotion is fairly similar for the correct, for the correct runner because animals don't have heels. Yeah. But the only reason I keep them on the heels is to build them up. If I had superior athletes here, um, then they would be allowed to be on the balls of their feet. But they're not superior, they're inferior.
1: And a big thing, I know we touched on it, we do emphasize in symmetry, too. You can't have one over-dominated muscle group, and that's a big thing here. Just because we pay a lot of emphasis on the hamstrings doesn't mean the quads get neglected or the calves. And that's what people think when you do hamstrings, whoa. Westside never works quads. I goes, that's true, but we do. We, we keep symmetry. We, we make sure everything keeps in balance. You have to keep a good balance, and regarding to your sport, too, but everything has to be kept in balance.
2: Yeah, we, of course, that's why we actually, in 1975, I started doing belt squatting, mm-hmm. to supplement some, and also, that's what the plyo jumps do. Plyo jumps are my plyo machine.
1: And the hip quad. And the hip quad. Yeah.
2: Right. We do a lot of this. There's, we don't leave any stone unturned. I think people focus on the 20% and lose track 80%. of
0: the 80% you're right. That's right you know what I mean
1: uh, one last question we'll take uh, it's for novices uh, he wants to know well, what time can a novice lifter use bands or be introduced to band work
2: I, if it's a novice uh, lifter of maybe 12 years old they could actually start in the very beginning because they need to learn to uh, produce force throughout the full range of motion. You know, if you want to if you want to drive across country, don't start out in the wrong direction and think you're going to get to California. It ain't going to work. You might as well start out right. The, you know, the greatest coaches in America honestly should teach the youngest people in America. Because that's where training starts. That's where bad habits are developed and that's where injuries come from. So. Um, you know, in Russia, you start at 10, 11 years old on most sports, and every two years, you graduate to another level. By 19 to 21, you're what po- was known as a polished athlete. Well, you got the same thing here. You know, 19 years old, you're you know you're in college. At least you're a polished athlete, if you're good, and then it goes on. But if you're not a polished athlete at that time, you're done. And uh, over here, of course, you get to go if someone team selects you. But you got to start young, and you got to be taught correctly in the very beginning. Technique first then all strength training works after that. That's the problem with Olympic weightlifting. You work on technique all the time. That's works pretty simple because I've seen 8-year-old kids do it. I've seen 8-year-old kids drop in a full snatch. How hard can it be? Once you learn technique overseas, they work on strength.
1: And a big thing you told me about coaches, the whole objective of being a coach is to make the athlete the person better than you. Right now, coaches always think they're better than the athlete. And if that's the way you are... You're a sham of a coach. You're trying to make the athlete, at the very minimum, better than you, and um, I think that is forgotten a whole lot.
2: I um I was as close as uh, 17 and around seven pounds off world records in a squat, and uh, but I have developed 140 world records, all-time world records out of my gym, because that's what a coach does. I learned to be a good coach at least in my field, but to, it's the field of spatial strength. Not don't call me powerlifting coach. I'm offended at that. I'm a special strength coach by the fact I have an 18-year-old girl who jump on a 55-inch box. And Hussein Bolt's strength coach mm-hmm. was here and said he'd never seen He watched her jump on a 50-and-a-half and said he'd never seen anything like it in his life. This is Hussein Bolt's strength coach.
1: And not to mention the multiple 60-inch box jumps we have.
2: Multiple. Oh, yeah. We have several. Sixties. Like, yeah. That's how you grab. Matter of fact, um, uh, Shalon uh, jumped a 53-and-a-half and she out- jumped two fighters we have. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that was what two months ago when she went back to school the other day one jumped on a 58 and one jumped on a 60 so that so does training work for athletes yes these are mma fighters
1: and don't think that by making changes to your training is going to take a long time it does not it starts from the time you start to make the changes and the better the athlete the quicker the changes so if you have high caliber athletes you start incorporating the right exercises you will see i've seen louis Change athletes in three weeks. I mean, completely different in three weeks from the right training.
2: You know, uh, no sport. A baseball player doesn't throw the same pitch every time. The fighters don't throw the same combinations. Football players don't run the same plays every play, regardless how successful it is on the first play. You must switch constantly. That's the conjugate system. Yeah, I think it's
0: interesting, too, because, I mean, you're talking about developing athletes, right? I think that's what's interesting. You know, when, when, when we look around, like, just in football, because right, there's some West Side certified guys out there, and it's interesting. They have a lot of guys they put in the NFL, right? But they're they're maybe three. They're not they're not coming to Ohio State, right? They're not this five star talent, right? right? But but then you, you see these guys they put they develop these players. They're in a multi year training program. They're consistently getting better, and they develop them into an, an NFL player. Where a lot of these guys that maybe come to Ohio State, they're touted very highly, but they can't make it in the NFL because everyone in the NFL is a trained football player for the most part, you know what I mean? So, it, and it's like the same thing you said, you know, if your strength coach is so good, then why is it for the combine you
2: leave that, you leave that school and you go elsewhere to train? That's right. The coach has to be better every year because he has to make his be- athletes better every year. Tom and I have heard coaches say, oh, you know, we just rely on the, re- on the recruiting. Well, that's fine, but you're not making an athlete. You have to make an athlete. Um, the Bulgarian weightlifting team, all model athletes, they were so tall. At so body body at body weights, so they were model athletes. But the Russians actually made made weightlifters. They made them. And uh, our system, a lot of the Russian old time uh, Soviet Union system, we make athletes. So good. And just remember, you know, you get some strong kids. Uh, A lot of coaches may be real strong, so they don't think kids need to be strong. A lot of kids are weak. A lot of coaches might have been real fast. They think kids are just naturally going to be fast. That's not true. You have to train what they don't have and don't neglect what they do have. And when you do that, then
1: you're a coach. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap. I'd like to thank you all for listening to the podcast. Thanks to Lou. Thanks to John. And we'll speak to you next time. And thanks to Donberry.
0: This is Westside Barbell with strength and conditioning legend, Louis Simmons westsidebarbell.com the strongest website in the world